And what's really exciting is to see the power that memes have had out there. You know, the taxation of theft meme or recreational McNukes guy with a thumbs up. You know, you have high schoolers that are simply politically interested in, in fairly normal ways, familiar with what ANCAP means. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. What's really cool is talking to people with other countries. You know, often their first exposure to libertarian ideas is not a politician. It's not reading Ayn Rand. It's certainly not reading Human Action. It often starts with memes. And so I think all of that is, is very exciting ways that we have changed the cultural war. Transmitting directly from the launch pad. Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. Hey, this is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with my real truth, Miss Really Like Bam! Hey, how's it going? I am not good. Actually, I've had better days. I've been sicker than a dog. You're well, never sick, too. And I'm it, never. I mean, not never really sick. sick. No, I was yeah. sick. Yeah, last week we had a show planned, and I had to cancel it because I was just under the weather. Uh, strep throat. Strep throat. I don't know where the hell I got it from. Um, I don't want to make any uh, any, hi- any oh, suggestions of how you got it. Yeah, I didn't get it from, like, licking <laughs> cat's asses or anything, you know? But, like, yeah. no, it was fine. I, I, I just been, I just, all of a sudden, I just started, like, I couldn't swallow anything. I couldn't drink beer. I'm like, God. My life is over, and uh, I just felt terrible. So here I am trying to do this with a little bit of a residual um, here, but I, I think I'm all right. I, I've been taking antibiotics. You know, a little extra gra- a little extra gravel in your voice never hurts anything. Well, no, it's, it's it part does. of the brand. But I have that already. So you add extra gravel on top of gravel, you just get like, <laughs> I'm starting to sound like Tom Waits. <laughs> I'm starting to sound like Tom Waits or a homeless guy, you know? A huffer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's been it's been a trip, but it, it sucked. But I had to miss the Libertarian National Committee. I'm actually Region 1 alternate, so I'm not, like, the most important guy, but I'm second to the, the man. And, uh, again, I felt really bad, but I didn't want to, like, you know, you know, typhoid Mary and bring shit everywhere to the LNC either. So I think you made the right choice, and you're just an alt. No, not just an alt, but you're just an alt. It all worked out. It is what it is. Okay, so Raylene, are you ready for our show? I am stoked to talk about this topic. I knew you would be excited about this. Mises <laughs> University, the world's leading educational program for the Austrian School of Economics. For over 30 years, it's been vital incubator for scholars, professionals, and entrepreneurs throughout the world. This program offers courses, seminars, discussion, and reading groups on subjects such as economics, history, philosophy, and constitutional law. Along with core Austrian economic curriculums, I believe this is such a great opportunity for students to learn the fundamentals and the ability to provide a solid core foundation for their future studies. Tho Bishop is our guest, and he's the communications coordinator for the Mises Institute and associate editor for the Mises Wire. Prior to that, he served as a deputy communications director for the House Financial Services Committee. His articles have been featured in The Federalist, The Daily Caller, and The Business Insider. Okay, Raylene, prepare for liftoff. Oh, yeah, copy that, Johnny. Covers, tie-downs, and grounding cables. Removed as required. Communications connected. Check. Preamps in the green. Check. Cold beer. Double check. Thrusters are hot. Raylene, are you ready to rock? All systems go, Johnny. Let's blast off with the Bishop! Bam! Welcome to the show, brother. Thank you for having me, guys. This is great. Bam. This is awesome. Bam. All right. So, man, I'm serious. We have been seeing Facebook about how cool Mises University is. Um, I know you play an integral part in the process of the Mises University. Can you explain who attends Mises University? Is it like an age-restricted program? And what do students learn when they're there? And is it every year? Yeah. 
Well, it's the best week of the year, as, as Tom Woods dubbed it, though he would probably now specify it's the best week of year on land. <laughs> okay, yeah, because he has the Contra that, Cruise. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, that, that qualifier in there. Yeah. I know basically Mises, Mises University for, uh, you know, is the world's leading program for astroeconomics. What's great is that, you know, we, there's not a lot of opportunities to really learn the good stuff, you know, your Mises and your, your Hayek and your Rothbard. So we try to cram in like four years worth of economic education in a week. Mm-hmm. And that, that sounds sounds like hyperbole, but I, I think we do a great job. And if you talk to some of the students that come through the program, uh, they'll tell you that they have learned more in this one week than they have in their entire college career. Um, the majority of the students here are at the very least college aged. Um, you know, if we, we've had some young entrepreneurs, we've had some uh, non-traditional students uh, here, but for the most part, it's it's kind of you know, tw- you know, eighteen to thirty year olds. I'd say probably you know is m- most largely young. Uh, yeah, but 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 not not exclusively. Okay. Uh, yeah. So so we've we've got some variety there. One of the really cool things is that it truly is an international program. Okay. I mean, yeah, this year we had fe- we had, we had a large uh, a group of uh, students from Australia. Wow. Which was great. Uh, uh, Bob Murphy always leads our, our karaoke. At, at least once a uh, you know one night during the week, and so they they got on stage and did uh, "Land Down Under," <laughs> which was very fitting. So that, that, was, that cool. was a great show. That's that awesome. Uh, but tons of people from from Asia, from Europe, a lot a lot, a lot from South America. I mean, there's a lot of really really cool and exciting things going on uh, in Brazil, in particular, with mm-hmm. kind of the, the growth of the Austrian school down there. So we very usually big. have uh, yeah a lot of Brazilians in the house, uh, and then also students from around the country. Uh, and, and what's great is that, you know, you know, of course, you know, the Mises Institute, we, we make you know, as much of our content free as, as we possibly can. So it's possible to go on our YouTube channel and see a lot of these lectures that we have out there. But what makes Mises U so unique is the conversations in between classes, after classes, during lunch, during dinner. Uh, we've got a lot of you know, fun social hours after each day. Uh, it's that that inter- those interactions. It's the debates that you have with your fellow students. It's the ability that oh, you can have you know lunch right next to Judge Napolitano and pick his brain ah. um, with any questions that you have, or, or or doing that with a Bob Murphy or or a Walter Block. Uh, you know, it's it's those sort of experiences, and then the connections that you make. You know, right. I, I know that's it's true not only just for Mises University, but you know when we do events around the country. You know, one of the biggest things that people are so excited about, it's like, yeah, like, you know, they're, they're really excited about the speakers. But, you know, first and foremost is simply the fact that they finally are with a group of people that, you know, they're, they're all sh- using the same language. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, they can have these really weird discussions about praxeology or yeah. the difference between Mises and Rothbard or, or you know, discuss Hoppe memes. You know, it's it's a different <laughs> sort of, it's yeah. a very niche sort of environment. Yeah, it and, is, yeah. And, 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 and it's, it's it's the friendships that you make. I mean, you know, we've had some people that you know they've met at you know, met at Mises U, and you know they'll they'll come you know follow us around when we do events around the country. Or you know, there's a group in in Europe actually that do a Austrian economics meeting there every year. It's a really cool, growing young scholars conference. I mean, that started with I think four European Mises U students at uh, Mises U 2014 who were having drinks at the at Sky Bar here in Auburn, an, an iconic institution here on the plains. And, and they just said, hey, look, this is the greatest, you know, this is, this is fantastic. You know, let's keep this party going when we go back home. Uh, so it, it really is those, those networking, the, the, the networks that, deli- that develop between the students themselves uh, that I think makes it such a special time. And again, it's I, like, I, I think it's, it's the best brothers. part of the world. It, I can talk about it all day. I think it's just so cool. It's like finding brothers and sisters, you know, like, like you're my long lost brother, you know, like because we're all of the same mind, you know. Shared values. Shared values, oh, right. stuff like that, you know. And mm-hmm. I, I, it's it, it weird because we're in this, such a small community. It's kind of cool to have everyone in one place, you know? Absolutely. And, and what's really cool, too, is that, so again, this program's been going on for, you know, 30 plus years. What, what's really, really neat is that, you know, now, like, we've got, you know, professors that are, like, third generation, right? You know, we, we had a first group of, like, Mark Thornton, right, who's, who's very famous for his work on, on drug prohibition and, and skyscraper curse and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, he was an early, he was a Mises U student, like, in the first early days, right? And so th- then he taught students here. And then we've got you know, the right. second generation of, of Tim Terrell, Lucas Englehart at Kent State, a lot of great. And now we've had people that have been, that were Mises U students, you know, when I joined the Institute about five years ago, who are now doing classes. And again, seeing the amount of talent that we have with the young scholars, like mm. you know, before I started, like it's it's you know the website people know about you know, Mises and Rothbard for the most part, but really is it's the talent of the young scholars and being able to see their interactions with students, 
uh, and and seeing that develop, I think is so cool too. So again, it's just it's, it's such a neat thing. Very cool. Amazing. So I'm wondering, um, are there a wide range of personalities who attend the Mises U? Um, or have you noted that the students seem really similar in nature? Oh, no, it's, we have a, a very wide, wide group. I mean, we, we have some very big personalities, you know, mm-hmm. those that love taking the stage at karaoke and, you know, we, we have to fight them off the stage and <laughs> love being at the center of attention. Obviously, you know, it's, it's you know, it's, it's econ nerd camp. So we've got a lot of introverts, which is perfectly fine. Beautiful. You know, so it, we, we you know, it's, Tons of, of variety there, and again, I think that helps contribute to to the environment. That's so neat. Um, and again, it's more the, free market the, principles in action, literally, with different uh, extroverts and introverts and different personalities uh, with the same shared values. It, it seems to be really cohesive. Oh, uh, absolutely. And and of course, the people with different backgrounds entirely. I'm, you know, it, it's it's not just for like econ students. Great. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of people that are interested in various different social sciences, but even beyond that, you know, we've had pre med students in, we've had chemistry majors, we've had you know, tech guys, um, you know, so it's, it's not even like a you know, specifically economics focus. And, and again, if you're sure. interested in these issues, I mean, in, in economics, especially the way that Austrians understand it, right there, I think there's so much practical value there for everyone sure. that, again, you know, the fact that you could take, you know, one week out of your summer and mm-hmm. learn as much economics as you could get from a, you know, a, you know getting, you know, get, getting a major in it, I think is, is pretty special too. And so we love having a lot of those different perspectives because sometimes you know, th- their minds can function very differently. And so that just adds sure. to such a, a, you know, even a more rich environment uh, for discussions. So, so like, so the, the information that is given during the week at Mises U, it's kind of like libertarianism concentrate. I mean, it's not watered down. It's like the full flavor. Uh, don't hold back. But like if you're a student or you're interested in, in getting involved, how much does it cost to attend the Mises U? Like, I mean, I know it's got to be expensive. I mean, I mean doing who this doesn't want to go? Yeah. It, yeah. Well, the, the great thing is that because of our generous donors for students, it is completely free outside of the cost of getting here. Right. No, okay. we, we can't we can't afford for travel. But, you know, outside of that, though, you know, we put you up in dorms at Auburn University. We've got a good relationship with the university next door. We feed you. You know, you come, you give, give you know, free books, all that sort of, sort of good stuff. I mean, it's not the Mises Institute if we're not giving out free content. Yeah. Um, so outside of the, just simply the cost of getting to Auburn itself, everything else is taken taken care of. Uh, which and then and the great thing is that you're just seeing the the. Uh, I mean, it's getting actually really difficult because we have so many people applying that you know we we have to be very choosy. Um, and, and so that kind of that's always kind of the difficult aspect yeah, of it. But sure. uh, you have so many seats, um, you have so many to fill, and yeah. you know you got to kind of pick and choose who you're going to have. I, I totally yeah. get it. Oh, amazing! So, um, speaking of what you're talking about here, does Mises feel the need to tackle any of the social issues that are just completely dominating the media right now, or are Austrian Eck and the social structures regarding human action enough for the students and the attendees? I think for the most part, you know, our 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 core curriculum is is kind of you know, economic theory, economic sure. history, uh, philosophy. Again, the nice thing is that again a lot of those debates do happen all the time. And and what's interesting is that you know I, I know there's kind of a perception that a lot of people out there in the libertarian kind of world have of the Mises Institute, right? You know, they, they, you know they think that you know we just are, that our views are kind of like single minded. On, on some of these very complicated yeah. libertarian debates. You're like, well, you know, if, if, if you don't agree with every single word that Hop has ever written, right, then you're going to be kicked out of the institute. Well, that, that's just not the case. I mean, I, I think that we're actually a, one of the most diverse libertarian organizations out there. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as you agree with our, the core principle, which is kind of Misesian economics, like a praxeological framework as the proper way of study economics. Like that's, right. that's kind of our one big thing. Then there's disagreement on all sorts of issues. And so you will have very active you know, disagreements on uh, immigration, right? You know, expect- I was just going to ask you what specific topics and theories inspire the most debate and discussion. That, that happens a lot. The immigration debate, um, uh, abortion comes up a lot. We actually have a Polish philosopher who, Łukasz uh, Dominiak, who gave a great talk on argumentation ethics this year. He's working on some papers responding to some of Walter Bloch's work on evictionism, uh, which I think is very interesting. So he's yeah. that, that was definitely one topic that came up a lot. Um, so you know, those sort of issues, you know, but usually those are kind of reserved for the side conversations for, mm-hmm. for a variety of different reasons. Uh, but again, like the, so the conversations can be, you know, all sort go all sorts of different directions. Sure, but for the most part, the classes themselves are are kind of more focused on uh, the the more timeless scholarly sort mm-hmm. of content. But the nice thing is there there still is again there's a, a good amount of variety where you know again it's not just econ you know it, it, 
got a lot of history, uh, mm-hmm. political theory, uh, philosophy. Judge Napolitano does a, an eight-part constitutional law class. It's kind of a separate thing within that. So it's even like a legal aspect if you want to go down that path. And what we try to do is offer as many cho- choices as possible to the students so that you know whatever you're really interested in, we provide these sort of different avenues so you could go deeper and then, again, have the access to the scholars afterwards if you have any sort of uh, really weird niche topics that you want to discuss. And I know uh, we, we had some students really interested in talking Sharia law with Judge Napolitano uh, <laughs> uh, during office hours. That's so great. Again, like, you know, it's, it's, so, so, That's yeah, great. I mean, you think those sort of conversations can go in all sorts of different that directions. That is cool, though. I mean, like, uh, usually it, for the best. It's, it's yeah. like a, it's a school for thought, and it's, and, yeah. and it's what a university should be, and it's exactly. not what it has become. You know, you can only think a certain way everywhere else. You know, here it's like an open ideas. This is what I have. This is my theory. How about this? How about this? I think that's great. Um, speaking of the, the teachers you have there, who are some of the teachers that you, you wouldn't mind maybe talking about that you find have been very influential and have been like rock stars during the Mises U uh, curriculum that you guys are doing? Um, okay, of course, every you know, you know anybody that's that's out there and you know online on in libertarian circles, you're probably familiar with Bob Murphy. And I mean, unfortunately, Tom Woods couldn't be there this year, but he's usually normal normal presence here. And people like Walter Block. Um, I think one of the one of the scholars that I don't think gets enough credit. Uh, he's our academic vice president, is is a, a Dr. Joe Salerno. And what I think is so incredible about his work is a lot of kind of the inner Austrian debates have happened in the last you know 20, 25 years. He was really kind of out there in the 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 forefront, right. um, kind of some of the differences, yeah, you know, kind of highlights some of the difference between Mises and Hayek in terms of their arguments against uh, socialism, which I think, you know, not to get too in the weeds there, but I think have some very interesting applications with some of the responses that are out the there. Weeds. Yeah, get, like, let's get in the weeds. Let's do it. Oh, well, so it's like one of the big differences is that, you know, Hayek's kind of focus, a critique on socialism was kind of more on what's called like the knowledge problem. Okay. Like central planners can ne- simply never have enough knowledge to know how to centrally plan an economy. Okay, mm-hmm. and then whereas like Mises's point was a very was a, was a, a f- kind of a more specific thing that there's a very specific type of knowledge that you cannot have under a centrally planned economy, and that is price calculation. Mm-hmm. That if you do not have a market system for prices that allow for different goods to compete side by side. Then again, you could theoretically, I mean, he was even conceding, like, look, let's theoretically say that you knew exactly, you know, the, the proper ratios of, of labor and resources in this to create these sort of these amount of goods. You knew exactly how many goods that you needed for your population. If you don't have market prices functioning, then mm-hmm. you have no way of knowing how to use resources that have multiple uses. Uh, what is the the best use for that for society? And so right. it's a very it's a, right. it's kind of a nuanced argument, but I think it's very important, yeah. particularly with some of the socialist responses in the modern world, where people say, "Oh, well, with big data, we can solve some of Hayek's objections on the knowledge issue because we can simply you know quantify all these different things, and then we can then use that knowledge to come in and have a high tech centralized economy." Right, and that's where like a Pierre would say, well, no, because you still don't have that that fundamental uh, uh, measure of economic calculation. So I think right. that's a very important deal. Interesting, very um, cool. And, and 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 some of that was it kind of sparked this very long debate. This is kind of gets to some of the differences between the the Auburn Austrian crowd and like the George Mason Austrian crowd. Okay, and yep. there's a lot of overlap between that. Like there's there's. Whenever you're dealing with with libertarian personalities, it's very easy for them to kind of get some heated debates at times. But there's there's actually a lot of overlap in terms of the scholars that got their PhD at Mason that teach at, at Auburn or that teach at Mises U. So you right. know, there's there's a lot you're of really you know, they're, looking they're for, yeah you're really looking that's like obscure to the average right, yeah. person. I mean, like you're right. like they, everyone generally agrees because I've I've right. had inst- professors from George Mason here on the show. Um, and we've had people from all walks of life in libertarian circles, mm-hmm. but they're all basically the same foundational ideas. How they get there is different, right? But it's all the same. Um, but I think it's important to kind of start digging out and looking for details and finding out how they got there and, and backtracking and, and the thought process behind that. So I think that's in, right. uh, imperative, especially for uh, being a good libertarian. Oh, absolutely. I mean, because that, that's, that's a lot of what, what being a, a good libertarian is, is it end up kind of nitpicking and, and kind of yeah. getting in those weeks. <laughs> it does. Um, and, and so, so Slur, I, I think it's just an absolute gem in that regard. Uh, but there's also, again, like some of the younger scholars, like Patrick Newman, who uh, uh, he, he last year he edited the Progressive Era book for uh, 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 
a, a long book yeah. project by from Murray Rothbard. Um, he he has a really cool project that's coming out later this year, which is the fifth volume of Conceived of Liberty. That's right. And, and, and I mean it, that whole story is absolutely fascinating because you know, like it's the, the original Conceived of Liberty books is is just this absolutely fascinating analysis on early American history. Um, you know, Rothbard is always you know his view of history has always kind of been in, in this these uh, uh, you know power dynamics, you know, people versus power, and the way that uh, ends up shaping society. Well, the problem with the original kind of four set series of Conceived of Liberty is that it stopped like right before the good part. It was right yeah. before the Constitutional Convention, right yes. before the Washington administration, and so it's just like. An ultimate tease. Uh, well, he actually wrote out five volumes for this series, uh, handwritten. And so his process, when he would handwrite it, then they would audio transcribe it, and then it would get typed out. Well, like during the fifth volume, they had technical issues. Then the publisher went under. And so we literally had this fully written out book in Rothbard's handwriting just sitting there in the archives. Yeah. Well, the problem is that like, Rothbard's handwriting is is very very difficult to understand. I mean, he, so he, he is Doctor Rothbard for a reason. Yeah. So like we uh, we had him on our show like two. So uh, the show before last, we just yeah. had him on. He told oh, us he's awesome. I mean, what amazing. Great. And the great thing about Patrick is that just just listening to him talk, he already sounds like Rothbard. So oh, that just works I know. Very well. And we actually Johnny literally said that we yeah. had him on. He actually did a Rothbard impersonation. On this show, man, <laughs> we did. It was great. I mean, yeah. like he's great, and you know what? I, I I really love what you guys are doing there. And I, again, you guys have had a lot of donors. Um, tell us about some of your donors. I mean, you guys obviously have some some pretty you know hefty amounts great of money. minds, big names, big names, a lot of good support. money coming your way. Is there any donors that you would like to possibly you know mention? who have been instrumental in in doing the Mises University. Uh, absolutely. For, for one, there, there's a, a, an incredible uh, incredible legal mind. He was, he was a, a district judge here in Alabama, uh, Judge John Denson, who is actually the reason we came to Auburn. He was an Auburn trustee. Mm-hmm. Uh, we already had some Austrian faculty here in Auburn. Roger Garrison was here. Um, so there was kind of some some academic reason, justifications for it, but really it was it – was, uh, Judge Denson with his ties to the area that really helped make it easy to move here. And what's interesting is in the early days, the Institute was actually on Auburn's campus. We had a couple mm. of little, little office area right next to the football stadium, which is kind of being the center of the universe here in the city. <laughs> and, um, and and we actually funded the, the PhD program here for a very long time. There's, there was an entire generation of, of uh, Austrian scholars that got their degree at Auburn you know, grad school uh, because we were there. Uh, and so he, he was an early donor, one of our, our big, you know, most influential donors early on. And he's also one of the uh, incredible uh, war historians of the era. I mean, his book, The Cost of War, is just absolutely fantastic. Hmm. I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, so, so he was here this year and, and is, is often here at Mises U, and he's just an incredible man. Uh, another one is Bob Luddy, who is the uh, the founder of Captive Air, you know, this massive uh, uh, restaurant supply manufacturer. Basically, created the the found the, the the best ways of creating like kitchen ventilation, things like that. Um, and he actually he's a fascinating guy. He started his a chain of private high schools in the North Carolina uh, area, and uh, is now working on trying to bring that model that he has perfected at the high school level for some private universities as well. Very cool. Um, Very so, cool. So yeah, yeah, yeah these, these are the sort of people that, again, like they get really passionate about the ideas of the Institute. That's what tracks them here in the first place. And then they find other ways in, in the world to act on it. And, and actually, we have a podcast with uh, with Hunter Hastings, who's a great business consultant from Silicon Valley. He's been out there for decades. I mean, has 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 all sorts of his Volodex is very very interesting out there. Um, but there's been a big project that he's been undertaking on highlighting the value that Austrian economics has in the real world to entrepreneurs. Um, and so he's another one that's been doing fascinating work and actually producing content for us. This is just an excellent podcast. Wow. Um, kind of a nice mix of professors that focus, that are in kind of entrepreneurial studies programs okay. in the U.S., like like uh, uh, Peter Klein at Baylor and uh, uh, Per Byland at Oklahoma State, just fascinating guys themselves, but then also real-world entrepreneurs. And I think that's really cool. Um, so those are some of the people that I, I think are doing some work out there that's, that's pretty uh, – uh, Pretty hefty. Uh, that has, has a lot of yeah, the idea that, that you can you can mm-hmm. access that yeah. way. Yeah. Uh, but what, but one of the cool things though is that you know you know we don't have kind of one major donor 
that, you know, if, if they left, like we would be, you know, have to shut down the doors, right? We, we don't, it's, it's, so that, that helps kind of give us a very, uh, uh, a lot of stability in a lot of ways. You know, mm-hmm. we, we're not under any specific person's sum. And also our donor base is very broad. So we, we're, we're, we have a lot of small donors that, you know, they don't donate like $5 a sure. month. And uh, that's that's a big part of of kind of our support staff. Like a meat in the potatoes. I mean, this is grassroots. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's very cool. I'm loving it. So that's man. Good. that's one of the one of the things that kind of makes the the institute a little bit different from a lot of other organizations out there. And it's just so the, the fact that we have such passionate supporters, people so uh, so so motivated by the ideas, uh, you know, it's it just makes it so incredible. Well, absolutely. Really quick, uh, Raylene, I'm sorry to cut you off, but no, fine. How could you? How could how would you get somebody like Soccer Mom Cindy? We use this person who calls in our show every once in a while, usually yelling at me because she hates me. But like, how would we get somebody who is like doesn't give a about economics? How could this be a good thing for her? I mean, and really, do you really want her to come? I mean, really, do you really want her to come? <laughs> I don't know. I I, th- I I think Mrs. Hugh in particular might be like a, a, a is is might not be the, the best kind of I, I was for saying, someone I'm, like that. Yeah, you know, like I I think for a college student, if you're kind of like, but but I think that one of the yeah, there, there is such, I think, an everyday application to a lot of these ideas. And, and, and like one of the things that I, I think that that we have a lot to offer for are people that are looking for ways to better educate their own children. OK, um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we've got a wonderful uh, a textbook for that. I've, I've, I've seen used everywhere from kind of like middle school uh, homeschooling groups with like kind of really you know, kind of pretentious, uh, uh, precocious, sorry, precocious uh, kids to even uh, has been used in like college undergrads. It's called Lessons by the Young Economist by Bob Murphy. Yes, I um, have it. Yes. Uh, oh, it's a, it's a great book. Great I book. don't have it. I should have it. Thank yes, you. Yes, you do. Oh, you should. Yes. Well, it, and, and the great thing is, that, you know, if you're a parent, okay, like you, for one, I mean, you know, like like all of our content that we publish in house, it's it's available free online. But you can get the 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 actual textbook for like twenty bucks. And then you can print off like the teacher manual. And so it's just an easier way of kind of helping explain, you know, if, if you're in like a homeschooling environment, mm-hmm. I think that's great. You know, a lot of our, our various kind of smaller Mises Circle events, a lot of those will kind of be more focused towards kind of topical issues, um, you know, things like you know, Trump and the economy or, right. or, you know, kind of something like that that may have some easier uh, hooks in there, in there. And then, of course, with the Mises Wire, what we always try to do is to have a balance of content that can both educate beginners that have no idea what what you know this this Mises guy is in the first place, mm-hmm. um, and also have something to offer someone that's been reading the website for ten years, and so that's so we, we try to have a lot of content that can uh, uh, kind of appeal to a variety of people. So and then because then once you start getting down that rabbit hole, if, if we can, if if uh, if we can say something that you haven't heard before but you think is pretty interesting, we can get you to come back that second time. Then I, I think it's only a matter of time before uh, you know you, you start following the red pill down. You end up uh, you know <laughs> yeah. you're re- reading reading Rothbard and uh, you know some of these people. It's over, people. man. And, as uh, soon as you read oh, yeah. Rothbard, it's over. Yeah, it's like I I understand absolutely. Everything. I understand everything. Absolutely. Yeah. And and um well okay so I'm not gonna lie I'm totally envious of the amazing turnout for the MCCU and I would have loved to go this year so in uh, who in the future would you like to have as teachers and speakers and and then also uh, what how do you want to expand and how do you want this to evolve? Uh, well again the, the great thing is that again, the biggest issue we have is trying to figure is is trying to limit the window of faculty just absolutely I think one of the scholars out there that is doing absolutely fascinating work you know he's got his own um uh, uh, virtual class that he's he's just started is Safedine Amos who wrote the bitcoin standard nice. um, he's nice. he's a he's a, he's a just a, a fascinating scholar doing incredible work on the crypto end what I like about him is that he's not you know, he's not just trying to sell altcoins. You know, like he's he's you know, he, I think he he he's a he has a very sober analysis of cryptocurrency that, in doing so, really shows its true game changing potential there. Um, and, and so he's someone I would love to get at Mises U in the future. He's someone who, again, someone who who if you read the Bitcoin Standard, I mean, it's so uh, influenced by uh, uh, kind of the work of, of Joe Salerno and a lot of Mises Institute faculty in particular. He was actually here at one of our research conferences earlier this year. Um, and there's also a guy in, in uh, Germany who uh, he spoke last year, but I, I think just one of the rising stars, a guy named Carl Frederick Israel. Mm-hmm. You know, within within mainstream circles, right? The, the one of the topics that people love talking about is income inequality. 
Mm-hmm. And so he gave a talk last year showing that, okay, well, people talk about this issue, but people never look at the consequences of monetary policy right. and income inequality, right? Because right. if, if, if you have financial assets rising, right, and so the stock market goes up, you know, different assets go up. Well, if you're a working class, you know, blue collar guy and you don't, you're not investing in stocks for a variety of reasons, well, then guess what? You're not benefiting from those rising tides. Right. And so, natu- so okay. that, that's the guy that gets screwed over. And what's fascinating is that this is something that nobody in the mainstream is talking about at all for the most part. Because there's, I, think there's, I saw like one good journal ar- article about it this year. And so it's, it's just such an obvious application on a lot of what we talk about in terms of the dangers of fiat money. Um, so uh, he, he gave a lecture last year and it's great. I think it's a, a research uh, a project that I would love to see expanded upon. Again, I, I think just shows how much usefulness Austrian analysis has with modern financial and economic discussions. And, and I think that's just so, so important to highlighting and the, 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 the true vitality of the Austrian school in the modern world. Um, in terms of ways that we can, we can improve going forward, you know, it's one of the things that we're building on is, is offering more variety for graduate students. Okay. Uh, because again, like we only have so many, like the, the, we're, we're not a traditional university. We only have so many opportunities to really touch uh, students. We've got three, we've got kind of four programs that we do throughout the year. One is our, our research conference in March, um, which is good about people showing their, their, their work that they're doing. It's a lot of great content there. We've got a, uh, a week long graduate seminar called the Rothbard graduate seminar, which is interesting itself. It is inspired by the university of Chicago, great book seminar. So we bring That's in strange. about, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, I, I, That's I, 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 strange. Yeah. But what, what happens is that this is a format that not many universities use anymore, and it's a real mm-hmm. shame because it allows for us to bring in it's, – it's about a group of 20 to 25 graduate students. Mm-hmm. They digest a, a great Austrian treatise. This year they did Man, Economy, and State. In the past they've done Human Action and mm-hmm. Economic Controversy, a few things like that. And then it, they get some lectures from some of our senior faculty, and then you have a lot of student-led discussion. And so it allows is for a very intimate, very deep dive in some of these core Austrian concepts. Very cool. Swoon. That's very and cool. Again, and so, so this, this allows us that even though we are not actually a university in a traditional sense, at least right now, um, it, it allows us to actually build a deep tree of scholars that have a very unique uh, relationship with us. And, and some of that kind of manifests itself. We've got a fo- uh, research fellowship program where we have scholars from all around the world, usually kind of uh, uh, PhD candidates trying to you know, finish their dissertation or write some journal article, uh, uh, some some publishing articles, um, and so that's another way that again it, it allows us to build a, a a deeper roster, and so again providing similar sort of products at Mises U where we have someone that may be going to a George Mason and might be a first year there, you know, being able to show some of these, these more advanced concepts that might be a little bit too above, you know, an eighteen year old right. um, going to his first year of college, it, allowing some more of that, just like an the more variety that we can offer students, I think the better off we are. Too. Yeah, but uh, but it's, it's you, very difficult to approve. I mean, we, we've it's it's uh, the, the people that have been doing this have been doing it for a very long time, and it's it's always incredible seeing just how smoothly they're able to manage uh, uh, anything of this this size. Well, what's amazing that I've noticed is that a lot of the students that I've been seeing are going back more than one year in a row. So even when you go to the Mises U, you still want to go back and see what's going to be taught next time. So and we're talking about very well-read, very educated on, on Austrian economics, people that are, need to get more. They want to go more, and they're still purchasing That's more true. books when they're That's, there. That, I mean, yeah. it's, it's like they can't get enough. So you're obviously offering an amazing product, if, if that's what you want to call it, if people are getting so much value out of it, they're going back. And I think it's again part of a reflection of the failure of the traditional academic or university programs that you have right now. You know, you know these universities. I mean, if you really like the, the strength of Auburn University yeah. has been generations of people that have attended it, had it changed their life, and then they have an alumni, you know, a, a personal connection there, and that they're willing to then support it throughout the rest of their life, and they want their kids to come and be, be generations. Well, if you don't, if if you feel that you're wasting your time in universities, if you're simply going there to get the diploma, if you are frustrated by your professors uh, that that might be you know, talking down to you. Or, or you're not really engaging you creatively, yes. then have you know, the, the fact that there is an environment where you actually can fulfill your your intellectual passions. There you go. Um, 
that, you know, I, I think helps us stand out. And our goal is for people to have the relationship with the Institute, to feel part of our family after being here a week, that they want to be a, a continuing member, um, you know, and not, not just financially, but just thinking about ways that, you know, yeah, talk to the friends, talk to their families, talking to exactly. You know, you know, yeah. you know, how, you know how that, that's, that's what it's word. all about. It's the good word. Yeah, and and the, the, the amount of people that do that, the again, the, the fact, I, you know, the, the friendships that I've just personally been able to make um, through that is just the, the the quality of people that we end up attracting here. I think is just is really one of the coolest parts about the whole whole experience. Okay, so really quick before we take our first commercial break, uh, how about a little bit about you though? What has been your experience, really quick, working behind the scenes at the university? I know that you don't get a lot of the spotlight. Sometimes you do because you make some good memes, from what I've heard. Uh, but I, how how has it been working behind the scenes? The excitement of seeing all this, you know, kind of unveil itself in front of you. Oh, it, it's just a dream come true. I mean, I, I get a get a walk into Libertarian Hogwarts every day, and, and yeah. Uh, Bam. No, it's just it's it's, it's wonderful. It I mean, it sounds it's, like all, it, dude. Like that would be like the perfect job. For anyone who's into the that we are, oh yeah, no, no, I'm the luckiest man alive as, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it's, 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 I mean, I just, I, I, you know, I, I was a big Mises fan long before I got here. Yeah, um, I, you know, it's fine. I tried to actually apply to Mises U when I was working in DC, and I that was they had some very big years at that point. They could not, like, I, just, I couldn't make the cutoff. <laughs> right. you know, be, be, having, having a DC uh, a job probably didn't, didn't particularly help things. But um, but you know, my first year working here, you know, I was I was so excited. I had the high expect, expectations. And then actually seeing it play out, I mean, it just it blew. I mean, I take yeah, I'm I'm a propagandist, right? I'm you know I, I work here. So, so take, you know, feel free to be be skeptical of, of what I'm saying here, but just just actually seeing it, you know, it, it was just so much more than I I ever thought. And you know, it, it wasn't really until I, I was able to be here in this building and and to work with the people with with my colleagues on a day to day basis, you know, seeing the institute go from just a website that you visit on a fairly regular basis right. to actually seeing the people involved with it. Um, you know, I, I, I loved Mises before just because of the great content, but I, it's, 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 it's like a new you know, level of love. A, yeah. It, you know, just, like if you're a no, gamer, no better organization it's there. like, if you're a gamer, right. If you like RPG, right. And you like Dungeons and Dragons and there was an actual school for Dungeons and Dragons. That'd be oh, yeah. cool. That's what Mises Institute is for libertarians I'm but not, important but important <laughs> but it actually holds some ve- like and i play the D, uh, but uh, one's do. important and yeah. one is just fun it's fun <laughs> whatever but it's 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 still pretty cool they're both very interesting absolutely anyways i'll make sure you check out america's fastest growing number one pro liberty radio program free talk live free talk live is on seven nights per week on 190 plus radio stations coast to coast and it's pro liberty Every issue, every time. So check out freetalklive.com. Again, that's freetalklive.com. Anyways, though, this is Johnny Rocket. Always launching ideas, and we'll be right back after this commercial break. Rock and roll. Listener, chances are some of you are business owners, entrepreneurs, or have a product that you're dying to bring to market. Well, there's something that you all have in common. You need a killer brand, website, and an all-around awesome design to stand out from your competition. Well, I have the solution for you. Invisible Hand Design. We've trusted them with Launchpad Media, Blast Off Branding, Liberty Force, and even my wife's presidential campaign website. So if your company's image could use a hand, Go ahead and reach out to them. Right. They're even offering Blast Off listeners a 20% discount on their first project. Book your conversation with them at invisiblehanddesign.com forward slash Blast Off. Oh, hell yeah. Hey, this is Blast Off Attorney Rocket. I'm here with my rancher, Miss Rayleigh Lightheart. Bam. Hey, thanks, Johnny. This is a fun show. I'm loving it. Yeah, you're like a McDonald's commercial, Raylene. You're loving it. <laughs> Anyways, though, we're talking to Phil Bishop, though. Thank you so much for being here, man. It's been awesome. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been great. And thanks for talking about Mises U, because I think this is really fascinating, really interesting. And Raylene and I really want to go. We want to go next year. So I don't know how we're going to do this. Maybe we can talk offline. I don't know. But I would love to be there next year. Um, I have nothing to do next year. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so what would you hear on the second segment, sir? It's called Rocket Fire. What would you do on Rocket Fire is I'm going to ask you a series of 10 questions. These questions will be politically or economically related. And if you can answer these questions between 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be badass. Mr. Phil Bishop, are you ready to play Rocket Fire? Bring it on. Here we go. Question one. In your opinion, what is the core characteristic of any given economy? 
just a resource a resource distribution you know, at some point, right? You know, it's okay. either centrally planned or or delivered through the market process. But in the day, we all have uh, uh, we all have wants, we all have needs. Um, you know, how the resources get to those that want them or need them, I think, is uh, kind of the, the cornerstone there. Bam! Great answer. Question two. How do economists define self-interest and rationality? Uh, actually, there's there's some disagreements here. So, like the, the traditional economics has this this uh, homo economic homo economicus model that kind of presumes that all that, that we're all profit maximizing individuals. And I think that's kind of an unreal real unrealistic expectation. Right. Uh, you have some scholars out there that are, are Austrian-ish at the very least who have this kind of hyper rationalist view that I think makes for very interesting lit- literature, but. Is, is a little interesting where they'll go they'll go out there and they'll find these really weird examples on like how like you know certain pirate behavior is absolutely rational uh, in spite of how ridiculous it may seem to a normal person because of some of the unique dynamics of time or you know people were buying uh, snake oil for for very practical reasons it's kind of like this hyper rationalist approach um, there's also some very interesting research projects out there along those lines again I'm not don't necessarily agree with it. Uh, but what Mises would say in, in terms of rationality is that you know, every individual acts in ways that make sense to them, right? So exactly. if, if you're yeah. absolutely convinced that, that drinking cyanide is the best way to cure your hydration, the <laughs> results may not be what you want them to be, but it's perfectly rational the fact that in your thought process, right. that's exactly what you should be doing. By Indians doing rain dances, it doesn't work, but it's right. rational to them. They believe right. it does, and it's rational. Question three. Without us being in a free society, should people who pay more taxes get more votes, regardless of your opinions on whether voting is aggression or not? Uh, you know, that's that's interesting. I, I think, yeah, sure. If you've got more skin in the game, why not? Um, I'm with you, you know, I, I'm kind of with you yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I've, I've heard worse ideas out there. Sure. Let's go with <laughs> I mean, it. It makes sense to <laughs> me, right? I mean, I'm just saying, if you own property, how can somebody who doesn't own property have the right to vote regarding your property? It should be only the people who have property who should be able to vote on issues regarding property. That's my opinion. Yep. All I right. agree. All right. Question four. What is protectionism and why is it wrong and unethical? Oh, protectionism is the belief that the best way to stimulate your own uh, domestic economy is by uh, avoiding trade with other nations and, and creating your own infant industry, you know, protecting your infant industries so that you can be self-reliant in all ways. You know, it's, it's both immoral and impractical because obviously as, as individual actors, you should be able to trade with, with others if, you know, if someone else is a good, you know, even if they're not within your borders. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think, that, but more, more importantly, it just, it just or equally as importantly as that it just doesn't work otherwise. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, th- I think Americans are very easy to kind of fall in this trap because we're such a large country. You know, we, we can, it's, it's easy to kind of fall into these, these senses that, uh, you know, we can provide everything. But if you're a, a small country like Lithuania, you know, you're never going to be able to provide every, every single good that you're possibly going to need. So trade is uh, vital to uh, civilization itself. I, I'm with you, man. Question five. Do you think social media ultimately has been good for the liberty movement? And what hurdles do you foresee in the future for us, libertarians? Will it get better or worse? Uh, I think social media has been huge for the liberty movement and also just any ideas that are outside the mainstream. Um, And I think libertarianism is very outside the mainstream. Some people try to to act as if it's kind of a more moderate brand or or you have Tucker Carlson out there trying to convince everyone that we're taking over the world. But you know, just the ability to to communicate ideas outside of the, uh, the the index card of allowable opinion, I think, has been huge. And what's really exciting is to see the power that memes have had out there. Um, you know, the fact that you know the taxation of theft meme, or or uh, even a, a recreational McNukes guy with a thumbs up. You know, you have high schoolers that are simply politically interested in, in fairly normal ways. Familiar with what ANCAP means, mm-hmm. I think is great. And if you, especially what, what's really cool is talking to people with other countries, you know, often their first exposure to libertarian ideas is not a politician. It's not reading Ayn Rand. It's not, uh, it's, it's certainly not reading human action. It often starts with memes. And so I think all of that is, is a very exciting ways of, uh, that we have changed the cultural war. And I think that's another reason why you have the, the evangelical left to borrow a term from Michael Malice, so uh, uh, convinced of the importance of censoring social media um, to prevent these uh, uh, subversive ideas to to uh, uh, undermining their their 
the cathedral's desire to uh, to brainwash them uh, and, and the world that they see it. So I'm with you, man. Question six. Is the preservation of culture a good reason to limit immigration? I, th- I, I don't think by itself, no. But I, I do think that in a that, that if in a true private law society, you would have areas that would value that, that would place as their own values the preservation of culture, right? And therefore, perhaps create restrictions on who could enter. I I, I don't think on its on itself it is, but again, I, it it goes to the values of the community itself and the way you would have different sort of instruments that could perhaps do that. You know, I, I think various private law societies, you would have different sort of priorities when it came to what they would look for uh, in terms of how immigration process would be handled. And that's why, the, you know, most importantly, it's just allowing immigration to be handled by the market rather than any sort of government fiat, I think, is the, the key to uh, allowing for the most prosperous societies possible and as well as the most uh, uh, stable societies as possible. Right. You know, there, there's people yeah. will have people will value different things. You know, that's, right. that's fine. That wasn't a trick question. It was actually a legitimate question because there's a lot of people who actually feel like they're not really worried about the welfare state. They're just worried about their own culture. And that's, I think, and I understand, like, I don't agree with them, but I understand where they're coming from. Right. In, and, and, in and, essence. And, yeah. Yeah. And again, like, there's, there's no one, I, I think the problem people have is that they become, they, they become so convinced in the righteousness of their own specific view that, you know, they, they ignore or, or, or attack other, you know, people that may have disagreements on, on kind of these issues when it's, it's, you know, the, in a market society, you would have different, different solutions to all this. And I, that's the beauty of you. it all. It's beautiful. Question seven. If we eat cows, why not dogs, dolphins, or babies? Why do we draw the line at pigs, chicken, fish, and cows in our culture? <laughs> well, I, I think babies are a little bit different. I, I'm I just think saying. That, I mean, like, why? Right. I mean, there's sure. some cultures that do. Yeah, well, I, mean, I, I think that respect for human life, I think, is, is, is a key aspect to a civilized society. And I think there's a variety of reasons for that. For one, I, th- I just, just – for one, the human mind is the most incredible resource in the world. It's a unique resource in the, the way that it's able to reason, the, the way, way that it's able to function. I think that one of the most – evil, evil ideas that have really uh, penetrated uh, society is this notion that humanity is a plague on the earth. It's these concerns about overpopulation. You know, you, you have high school. I mean, I, I know, when I took high school environmental science, right, the first day of science class, we watched CNN's population bomb. And and yeah. the entire screen ended up being, you know, we need, a, we need fewer humans in the world. Like when you have high school student, uh, science teachers literally – uh, communicating the ideas that you would regularly, that, that you would otherwise give a comic book supervillain. Right. I think that shows so the a very big issue of society. So I, I put babies to the side. But just, I think okay, the rest, I just threw that in there as like a shock. Yeah. Value. No, 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 no yeah. I, I, I get, but I think it's I think it's important because, because a lot of people will say, oh, why you know why shouldn't animals have the same rights as humans? And I think because you're talking about two different. Well, two, I think very different uh, that's a different thing too because they can't reason. Yeah. I, I think in terms of dolphins, I mean, if 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 dolphins were were uh, uh, delicious, I mean, I, I think that you might end up having a, a marketplace for that in certain cultures. I think a lot of that ends up getting to cultural norms, right? If if uh, sure, I'm if, sure if I was China, in if have... I was in Thailand and I was yeah. offered dog, I don't know if I would say no. You know, I'm usually a, a try it try it one sort of guy. So I think a lot of that just ends up being uh, individual human valuations and cultural norms. All right, man, what's wrong with that? I'm with you, brother. Question eight: Do you think science is compatible with religion? Yes. And in fact, I think that the history of the development of science you know, often came from uh, church scholars mm-hmm. um, in both, both the hard sciences and the social sciences. I mean, that's one of the reasons I love Murray Rothbard's uh, Austrian perspective. Uh, uh, Austrian perspective on the history of economic thought is is a lot of the work on the the Catholic Church and, and different Catholic scholars. I'm, I myself am not Catholic, which kind of puts me in a, a minority. I'm, I'm, I'm a lot either. of the Mises crowd. Yeah, but I, uh, but yeah. I, I don't think the two are necessarily in contradiction at all. I, I think I think they can go into contradiction, but I think that ends up being how they're used by uh, individuals rather than any strong foundational disagreements there. Rock and roll, man. Question nine: Is any free "Quote unquote, not physically compelled exchange, morally permissible." Um, no, I, I I think when you're dealing, I mean, for example, like uh, uh, when you start dealing with things with kids, mm-hmm. I I think that's you know, that's obviously an issue there. Um, and and in terms of like who should have that the ability to make those decisions, I think you have a kind of a, a trustee relationship with the parent. 
right. um, that I think makes sense to me. But I, so, so I think kid transactions, I think are a little bit different. Outside of that, you know, I, I think that, you know, I, I think libertarians would are wrong to say that we can't judge the voluntary decisions of other people on, on a moral perspective. I think that, you know, social shaming, uh, is, is not inherently immoral by any means, but I don't think that there should be any sort of course of force used against those sort of transactions. Very, very good. I like that answer. Question 10. Do you think philosophy is politics and what separates libertarian philosophy from all the others? I think that philosophy is not necessarily politics, but I think, it, 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 yeah, I think philosophy is not necessarily politics. Um, but I think politics more often than not ends up being a philosophy. I'm trying to think of some, some easy examples of where that would not be the case just to kind of cover my basis there. Um, I think one of the things that separates libertarians from a political perspective, sometimes to our detriment, but I, th- I think more often to the strength, is our search for consistency. I think a lot of people just aren't co- that concerned about it. I think that definitely helps us stand out. Um, Interesting uh, so observation. I, I, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. We, we want to like a one size, you know, we want everything to be, you know, consistent across all norms. Right. You know, I, I'm with you. I don't think there's really, there's a lot of answers. That's a tough question to answer in 30, 60 seconds. So we can move on. Okay. To our bonus question. <laughs> okay. Is cereal soup? That's the bonus question. Is cereal. Oh, wait. Oh, soup. is cereal a soup? Yeah. Okay. Um, no. No, uh, <laughs> you're like I'm trying, no. Yeah, yeah. No, it's kind of like is the is the hot dog a taco? Yeah, a sandwich. It's a sandwich. Yeah, no, no, I, 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 I totally get behind the hot dog being a taco thing. Um, but yeah, cereals. Are, I, I it is, I'm it, trying to think, think how it. I would define a soup. Well, gazpacho is cold. Yeah, um, but I, I think that's that's a melding of ingredients, right? And now, if 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 you took, uh, uh, you know. Reese's PC, uh, Reese's peanut butter crup, uh, cups, and you put it in a blender with milk, and you blended it, and you poured it out. I think that could end up being something closer to a soup, a, a transformation of ingredients to meld them together. I think that I would buy. Yeah, but I, I think simply pouring water on top or milk on top, I'm, I, I would separate that. I don't know. I'm Thank just you. saying it could be a soup. All right, and bonus two. We have two bonus questions. What is the unwritten rules? at working at the Mises Institute. Come on. There's got to be an unwritten rule that everyone does, but you're not allowed to... Dicks out for Harambe. <laughs> um, that's a good question. Um, you have to wear a suit. You know, you... Well, actually, I, in the summer, we're, we're, we're casual uh, casual in the summer, which is great. Okay. Um, you can't wear an Alabama Crimson Tide shirt in the office just because it's a very good way to get the Institute burnt down, and we've got too many nice books for that. Oh! There you go. And that's Rocket Fire coming up with the Show. Bam! Bam! Good job, brother. Anyways, that's Johnny Rocket. Always launching ideas. We're going to be right back for the final segment of the show. So stick around. Rock and roll. Okay, so we hear a lot about Trump talking about Antifa right now, and he's considering labeling it a terrorist organization. What are your thoughts on this? Um, and I, I'd like you just to go ahead and, and tell me what you think about it. I think usually putting a, a group, especially kind of a diverse group, into uh, in any sort of federal list is just very rarely ends up going well. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I, I do. Th- I, and, and for one, I mean, I, I think you end up seeing on a on a on a more local basis. You know, when you end up having various local police departments, I think end up handling it in ways that kind of confine to the the values of the area that you're, that they're at. I mean, we had Antifa come here in Auburn um, when Richard Spencer came here to speak, mm-hmm. and um, you know, they this is not an anti Antifa kind of friendly environment. And and what's interesting is that you actually have a long history in the South of uh, uh, anti mask laws. Yes. Uh, yeah, kind of ironic in some ways in this case. Um, so, so they cracked down very quickly on that, and you had no issues. Right? You, you had no issues with violence. If you're out in Portland, and mm-hmm. I think that the local sensibilities there are a little bit different with Antifa, then you know, I, I would not want to live in Portland. I, I think that you end up having kind of sanctuary cities for these sort of, of protest, you know, the kind of riots that end up breaking out. Uh, but I, I, as with as is the case with with most things in terms of uh, of policies. 
uh, political policies. Uh, the, keep that down to the local level. I don't think there's any benefit at all from uh, uh, giving that to the feds. Okay, and then I'm going to have to da- double top this since you brought up Richard Spencer. Uh, we hear a lot about the growing numbers of the alt-right. Is this a media-driven narrative or is this a real movement in our country? And can the message of logical economics and individual freedom be sold when the fringe on either side of Antifa and alt-right, it, it scares the public so much? Is that, can we do this when people are so scared of these fringe elements that are very angry? Um, I, I think that, the answer to the first question, or the first two questions, I think is yeah, b- uh, both. Okay. Uh, what's interesting is, is that yes, CNN was so desperate to lump in Trump with uh, the alt right mm-hmm. that they are willing to give Richard Spencer so much TV time. Absolutely. You know, like, I mean, he, he he was making regular rounds and main like, so, like they they were so desperate to, to that they would give them him the mic their own microphone. I mean, it was just and they're still doing it. It's just it's ridiculous. Right. Um, so I think Richard Spencer, in particular, amongst that that group, mm-hmm. was largely a, a media creation. Uh, for one, just because he's not that interesting. Like, like if you actually listen to him talk, I, I remember I was there at uh, uh, Liberty Con or, or Students for Liberty, whatever, whatever they called it before, Why, when he, okay. he crashed the party. Yeah, and and I, you know, I my opinion was that they sh- they should have brought him down here and debated him. Just I think that what ends up fueling Richard Spencer is more kind of casting him as this dangerous stock criminal uh, that we don't want to, to hear people listen to. I, th- I think if people listen to him, um, yeah, I was, I was there at when, when he came to Auburn and just watching people in the crowd, they didn't know what to expect one way or another. And they uh-huh. laughed kind of laughing at him. I, th- I think that's the best thing to do it. And so a lot of the people that are just there to, that doesn't mean that they're supporting it. They're just watching to see what's going on. Right. right? Yeah. They, 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 they want to watch a train wreck. I think, in terms of the, <laughs> I mean, I, I think a lot of the people that, that, yeah. I, I think the use of the term alt-right obviously took a, a plunge after Charlottesville for understandable reasons. Yes. I think kind of that – and you always kind of had this this from my understanding of, of kind of watching this play out on social media. You had a, kind of always had that fraction of like the alt-right and the alt-light. Um, so again, like Michael Malice would call it the, the new right as this kind of larger – kind of loose coalition yes, of people yes. that just really hate the evangelical left. I, th- I think that is a growing movement. I think it's interesting mm-hmm. watching kind of this growing acceptance of socialism uh, on the part of kind of these national conservatives. Right. Uh, and, and it's a shame because like Yoram Hazoni, whose book is kind of one of the major ideological uh, catalysts for like the National Con- Conservatism Conference that was, you know, in D.C. a couple of weeks ago. I think that's actually a very interesting book. Um, but he, he said some really bad you know, it takes Mises out of contents in it. So, I mean, that, that was really kind of bad. But I think, I think in general, it's a book that I would highly recommend people to read and kind of digest on their own. Uh, but he's not a socialist guy. And so I, I think that seeing Tucker Carlson kind of embrace this Elizabeth Warren policies, I think that's very troubling. But I think that kind of gets into where, again, maybe perhaps people not using the alt-right term, I think kind of leads closer to that. And just in general, though, like kind of the rising uh, uh, violent kind of pol- rising political violence. I mean, I, I think that what people are recognizing, and I think this is actually a, a bit of a, a opportunity for libertarians to benefit, right? Is mm-hmm. that people are recognizing that we are no longer living kind of within the confines of these political norms. But right. the more that okay. you recognize that you know, there is there, you, there is no way that you can compromise when half the country thinks that uh, uh, gun ownership is is morally wrong. And it is people having access to weapons of war, and the other one that sees it as a foundational right and, and a protection against a tyrannical government. There is no way of compromising between people that think that you should have abortion as late as nine months, and people that that think that you know, life begins at conception. I don't there think is no way of compromising. There is no answer. That, I don't think there's ever going to be an answer. Beautiful. So when looking around the world today, it's easy to become pissed off at the state of higher learning, but everyone I have talked to usually claims the same thing. The greatest week of the year at the Mises University is what many students call their Mises U experience. I, for one, think it's an exceptional way for people to learn about the Austrian school with no distractions and understanding complex ideas, not only from other fellow free marketeers, but some really terrific instructors. As someone who is passionate about free society and the ideas and the institutions that form its foundations, it can often become discouraging to look at the state and the world we live in now and hope that there's a better way to find the roots and understand economics, the cornerstone of libertarianism at the Mises University. All right, Raylene, prepare for landing. Oh, Roger that, Johnny. Seatbelts and shoulder harnesses. Your body, your choice. Landing gear and downward expanders. NAP initiated. Anti-state superchargers. Defragged and woke. 
Landing lights and guest websites, though. Give us your .coms for Mises U, baby. Mises.org, M-I-S-E-S.org, slash MisesU19. It'll bring you to all the good information from this past year, including links to the videos and things like that. And if anyone has a question about wanting to attend in the future or, or anything else, please feel free to email me directly, though, T-H-O, at Mises.org. Bam. Hey, hey, man, I really appreciate you being here on the show. And if you want to hear more of Mr. Bishop, what do they have to do, Raylene? They go to supportblastoff.com and subscribe. If you give us a dollar, then you get to hear the after party, and only $2 gets you both the after party and the all-nighter. So if you want to hear more, Mr. Bishop, please give us a buck. Cheap bastard. <laughs> Anyways, though, this is Johnny Rocket. Phil, thank you so much for being here. Great show. Stick around for the after party. A rock and roll. We'll see you next week. 